All right, all right. It's Andrea Miller, your host of Open Relationships Transforming Together. I am joined by my incredible co-hosts, Joanna Schroeder and Brian Atkins. We have an incredible guest on today, the one and only Terry Real, therapist to the stars and so much more. I can assure you this episode is going to be so revelatory, intimate, amazing, and uh, gosh, packed with actionable takeaways. So um, what do you think, Brian, Joanna? Should we get started? Yeah, Terry Real is actually here in the lobby already, so we can just uh, let him in. You want to say hi? All right, with no further ado, let's uh, let's get this party started. Welcome. <laughs> oh my gosh, Terry, it is such a thrill and honor. As you know, we are fangirls. We are avowed fangirls. Um, so let me give the incredible background on Terry Real. He's an internationally recognized family therapist, speaker, and best-selling author committed to helping you build the lasting, loving relationships you deserve. The author of four books, including the recent New York Times bestseller, Us, Getting Past You and Me to Build a More Loving Relationship, Terry knows how to lead people on a step-by-step journey to greater intimacy and personal fulfillment. This book is amazing. I actually listened to it rather than reading it. And just, I, I told Terry, I love his voice. So, uh, so you know, whether you like to read or uh, listen, this book is incredible. His revolutionary approach to couples therapy, relational life therapy, RLT, underpins all of his books, courses, and teachings. RLT equips people with the powerful relational skills they need to make love work and cultivate authentic connections to themselves, each other, and the planet as a whole. A former senior faculty member of the Family Institute of Cambridge in Massachusetts and a retired clinical fellow of the Meadows Institute in Arizona, Terry has worked with thousands of individuals, couples, and fellow therapists. His extraordinary ability to save couples on the brink of divorce garnered Terry the reputation of the turnaround guy and demand from other therapists to learn his RLT method skyrocketed. To bring the remarkable results of RLT to as many people as possible, Terry established his Relational Life Institute. To date, thousands of mental health practitioners have benefited from a whole new perspective on couples therapy that has transformed their clients, their practice, and even their own relationships. Terry is passionately committed to empowering us all with the essential skills for meaningful relationships. And that just scratches the surface. What I want to <laughs> add is that Terry is therapist to the stars, Bradley Cooper, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Bruce Springsteen are just a few of his other avowed superfans. It's not just as common folk, uh, Joanna. <laughs> um, according to an article in Vogue, Bradley Cooper calls Terry's work nothing short of miraculous, which quite simply changed my life. Welcome, Terry. You know we are superfans. Thank you, thank you for the groundbreaking, critically important work you do. Oh my God, that's your love. We haven't even started yet. Which is you are love. <laughs> Bring in the love and you're getting the love. It's like, you know, instant karma right here on Open Relationships. Um, so relational life therapy is considered a radical form of couples therapy that breaks longstanding convention. Terry, you take sides. And that is yeah. that is radical and different. And in fact, you sometimes seem to take a teensy, be- teensy bit of joy in telling people that they're full of bleep. Um, and I'm just wondering, how do you take sides against the likes of Bradley Cooper, Gwyneth 
aka Pepper Potts or um, the boss himself. How does that work? Uh, look, um, one of the things that I think distinguishes RLT, relational life therapy, from other therapies is how we see self-esteem. Well, for 50 plus years, uh, psychotherapy, the self-help movement, even the great Oprah Winfrey, me, she lived forever, have been dealing with helping people come up from the one down of shame. Uh, and we're all just so riddled with shame in this culture. The, the blessed, sacred work of helping people feel good about themselves and come up for one down of shame, particularly women, has uh, been critical and wonderful. There's another self-esteem disorder, the flip side of the coin, which is helping people come down from the one up of grandiosity, superiority, <laughs> entitlement, looking down your nose at somebody, being above the rules. And as a couples therapist, um, it, it just struck me as nuts uh, that we spend so much time helping people feel good about themselves. That there are people who need to feel bad about what they do. <laughs> some call them of, out, right? You have to call them out. Yeah, some, some of uh, you know uh, our great political leaders should be uh, have a little more uh, humility and and uh -huh. lesson. Uh, look, mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I say is if you can't help people come down from the one up of superiority, entitlement, contempt, anger, uh, control, you're not going to be able to help a lot of men. Uh, because <laughs> a, a broad generalization, and, and folks, listen, I talk about gender, I talk about race, I talk about culture. The, everything I say are broad generalizations. There's lots of variation understood. But let's start somewhere, okay? In our culture, many men tend to lead from the one-up entitled position and have covert issues of insecurity and shame. Whereas women tend to lead from the one down shame position, victim position, and have culture issues of grandiosity and superiority. And if, at some point, it might be fun to talk about women's covert grandiosity. Never, nobody ever yes. talks about it. But, but let's talk about men for a second. You have to have, if you're going to lead people into intimacy, you have to get them up from the disempowered one down. But you also have to get a lot of these characters down from the falsely empowered one up. You're not superior. You don't get to control. You know, if, for example, I'm going to use a lot of heterosexual examples. That's not to exclude anybody. I'll, I'll try and mix it up. But, you know, the guy whose wife won't have sex with him and he goes into a six-hour pout uh, because he feels so rejected. You know, you don't get to punish your wife for six hours because she doesn't service you. That is entitled. And one of the, th I think, revolutions in our work, if I dare say that, is that kind of grandiosity is no favor to you. It's bad for you. Amen. Right? That's the wall, right? And it's so unconscious. That's what is so apparent in when I observe the relationships that I'm in with people, men that I love and, and really, you know, there's a, an empathy that I feel because I do feel like it creates a separation and it's so unconscious, but I love how you talk about America's power couple. Talk about that for a minute. Cause I feel like that's just what you described. Well, yeah. Well, one, one of the things I, I say, and again, you can think of maybe a, a famous political couple, but one of the things I say mm -hmm. is that 
uh, a, um, a, a covertly shame-based, outwardly driven man, coupled with a, a overtly accommodating but covertly resentful woman. Why, well, guess what? That's America's power couple. That's a successful couple. That couple will do really well in the world. And and I talk a lot about what I call the adaptive child part of us. We'll talk a lot about that. But yes, um, uh, those, those kinds of uh, arrangements, like inwardly insecure but outwardly grandiose and driven, uh, it will it make you a great success in the world at large. But make a hash of your, you know, listen, uh, my beat. Because uh, I do have a specialty. My beat is uh, very smart, very successful, uh, self-made assholes. And uh, <laughs> and nothing, I love it. Oh my god, I love it that you are willing to say my clients are assholes. Like, yeah, amen totally. for being honest. That is, I mean, it, you may be talking to some very successful assholes right here today. Oh yeah, right I, on the show too, because you know we can be jerks. <laughs> Good to keep it real, Joanna. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> so, you know, I, I always felt very proud about being able to get through to these folks. Uh, until the day my dear wife, Belinda, said to me, um, hey, uh, have you ever wondered why you in particular, you know, kind of do so well? Oh, my God. <laughs> Keeping it real. Love that. Yeah. So, you know, in my own family, uh, I'm called Enarso in recovery. Uh, look, mm -hmm. I, I'm a man. I'm a privileged white man. I was raised as a prince. I tell the guys mm -hmm. I work with, uh, relationality is my second language. I'm very fluent at it. I've been speaking it for 30 years. But it's my, my first language is selfishness, like mm -hmm. uh, a lot of uh, men. And I've had to learn how to, uh, we call it second consciousness, how to stop and think. And like, wait a minute. Uh, everybody in this room has gotten up from the dinner table and is helping with the dishes but me. Uh, you know, I'm embroiled. This person is telling me about how their dog died when they were four. It's just so important. Uh, I should get off my ass and go do a dish or two. But I have to think that. It doesn't come naturally to me. Uh, and what I teach grandiose people is, is in your interest, come down from that I've learned, I've had a lot of mentors. One of them is my great friend, the great feminist psychologist, Carol Gilligan. And I love this line. You can't love from the one up. You can't love from the one down. Love demands democracy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, and just, you know, I feel like we were just touching on this a moment ago. We know that there's a loneliness epidemic that's raging in America and it just it feels so obvious to me, especially in listening to you and being intimately familiar with your work to go ding, ding, ding. No wonder there's a relationship crisis in America. If you're one up or one down, you're you're not going to be connected. You are going to feel separate and yeah. and um, apart from and that's going to feel really painful. And as a parenting writer, I'm always looking at when when we talk about things like this, I'm always thinking, how do we parent our kids better? Because when we're talking about this man or this this um, generality about men uh, who come from this one up position with grandiosity, oftentimes it's so easy to be like, oh, men like just roll our eyes. But in reality, a lot of that to me feels like it comes from a wound. 
It comes from being told that that weakness is is dangerous even for them, that it's going to get them picked on, it's going to get them harmed. And I have tried to shift my perspective as a mom of teenage boys who now look like men from one of like, oh, the men are are so grandiose and, and taking up so much space to um, this is how they're coping with what society has forced them into. Yeah. Does that feel relevant? Well, of course. And, and you know, I saw you in my first book. Um, uh, uh, I don't want to talk about it at the name of the book. Yeah. I have book. a retail party. Said people say, "What's your what's the name of your book?" I don't want to talk about. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to bother. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great title because that's exactly that's the whole thing. That's exactly what it is. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, then we're talking about it. Look, here's the here's the thing. The essence of traditional masculinity is invulnerability. The more <laughs> invulnerable you are, the more manly you are. The more vulnerable you are, the more girly you are, and that is not a good. And, you know, as uh, Brene Brown has taught, uh, it, it's our vulnerabilities that connect us. We humans yeah. connect mm-hmm. through being humans. And and this idea that in order to be worthy of love, you have to be a Superman is just such a horrible trip to lay on boys and men. And, and you know, the world is so, so deep, Joanna. And what we know from the study of girls if patriarchy lands on girls at the age of adult, about 11, 12, 13, girls stop telling the truth and they over-accommodate and become what Carol Gilligan called the tyranny of the nice and the kind. Mm-hmm. Right? She, a, 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 a great moment came to her. She's asking a 13-year-old girl what she thought in, as part of her research. And the girl looked at her and smiled and said, uh, do you want to know what I think or do you want to know what I really think? Right. Oh, good. Brave 13 year old girl. Yeah. We need more of those around to tell the truth. One of the things in all of my work is that patriarchy is a wound that the imposition of these traditional gender roles, A, will never get you intimate, B, you'll feel like shit about yourself, you'll never feel good about yourself, and C, they are traumatic. It's traumatic to teach a girl uh, that she has to cycle her voice. So, okay, the womb to boys, are you ready? How old? Yeah. How old? Well, I know the answer, so I'm not going to say. Andrea, you guess. <laughs> what did you say? How old? Yeah, how old are they when they first feel that wound? Oh, oh gosh. I'm I'm afraid. I, I think I'm going to, I want to say probably like 12, 13, but I have a feeling you're going to say a lot younger. I'm going to say three, four, five. Oh, dang yeah, it. I've heard five. Holy Research, smokes. By the time a boy is four years old, he already knows to shut his mouth and not be expressed. They still feel as much, but they don't express as much. They've already read the code of masculinity. What breaks my heart about it is that we've told them that's going to keep them safe. Well, but it will keep them safe. That's For not a lie. Uh, if you if you look uh, for a girl to cross into boyland after fifty years of Mormonism, maybe that, but for a boy to cross into girlland, it, it, it evokes violence, mm-hmm. it, literally physical violence. Uh, yeah, if, uh, a boy shows up in a dress, and, and um, so we have to arm our boys how to navigate. I call it being gender literate. Well, you have to. You, you, you have to determine 
Uh, if you stay whole and expressive, uh, you may get crap from the people around you. If you comply and you accommodate, you'll betray your own self. Yeah, we have two boys. Uh, they're now in their thirty. When they were, we went to a, a Caribbean island and they were doing like corn rolls for the tourists. Uh huh. Uh huh. And my older son Justin had like a couple of you know like rock star corn rolls. Each Richard. My other one, the little one, Holly had whole thing. His, yeah, and his favorite color is uh, gold and pink. Oh, and they, nice! They were going to school the next day. Uh, and I said, look, here, here's the deal. Uh, if you show up in these things, you may get grief. If you don't, then you don't get to show them off to everybody. What do you guys want to do? No, no, we'll do it. The older one, literally, when his foot touched the car, he said, I can't do it. Oh. And, and we had to cut it, you know. It was late oh. for school. It, oh, no. The younger one, whole head, and it turned out he was the toast of the town. Uh, yeah. See, I mean, oh, you get rewarded for being courageous. But it is it is a, and that to me, I feel like at the heart of what you're talking about, it takes a profound amount of of courage and wisdom. And I love that's what you're you're teaching. But I just, I keep coming back to that, that we are, I feel like we are asking a lot, uh, Joanna, especially to your point, especially, um, boys and young men. We're asking, you know, we were asking so much of them because it's, they're getting two really different messages. One is, you know, this is what it takes to be a man and, you know, cowboy and, and all those, um, those images that are particularly American, you know, and Western. And then at the same time, Terry, everything you're saying is, well, that's how, that's why men, I mean, the data is pretty clear. How, how many men well, have no friends? No, no. Yeah. Right. You know, the cowboys, there, there, there is an epidemic of suicide amongst uh, cowboys, uh, middle literally Western men. Yeah. They're, they're the most oh population in America. They killed themselves. Oh my gosh. And wait, what demographic is that exactly? We're talking about, you know, uh, middle-aged men in Wyoming and, and Texas who have guns and they, the, the suicide is an absolute epidemic. So one of the things I want to say is as parents, um, we want to, we want, it's not our decision, it's their decision, but we want to encourage them and give them uh, protection as much as we can. We want to create a relationship cherishing subculture around yeah. our sons and our, our, our families. And we want mm -hmm. to stand but yeah, I like to tell stories. Can I tell you another story? Yeah, we love yeah, your stories, we love Carrie. Them. Well, my wife, Belinda, is a, a, a therapist as I am, and they're quite talented, and uh, you don't mess with my wife. So my little one, Alexander, uh, when he was three years old, loved, oh. I have yeah. an Alexander, and too bad he doesn't have his little head popping in right now because he's at school right now because if he would have heard his <laughs> name, he would have been like, Bing, right in the video. Okay, go ahead. All right, my little one uh, loved to do dress-up. He's a very imaginative kid, and he would dress up as, you know, bears and cowboys and, and soldiers and, but his favorite dress up uh, was Barbie the Good Witch. He had a oh. slip and a tiara. He would blast things. So a friend of ours who is a nationally recognized quote unquote gender expert takes it upon herself to call my wife Belinda and express her concern that my son, three years old, 
my son was in dresses that that she was concerned about his impending gender confusion. Oh, now, and, and this was know, like thirty years ago. Yeah, 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 thirty years. Wow. Ago. No, it, don't mess with, without missing a beat. Belinda says to her, "Oh my God, thank you so much for bringing that." I hadn't thought about. It. Hey, you know, he dresses up like a bear too. Do <laughs> you think I should worry about species confusion? Oh my God! Yay, Belinda! Shout out to you, Mama. I love that. I love that. Well, but it also speaks to the nonsense, right? I mean, talking about like all the all the fearfulness and fear mongering about. Um, geez, if you read this book or you hear about somebody else being trans, that that might be contagious. Like, doesn't that oh, kind yeah. of make you want to puke? Well, it's an interesting thing because we've gone from this highly restrictive, like every boy needs to look exactly like his dad in every single way and look like a tiny little mechanic um, to this now this thing where you have some people who are progressives, and I'm very progressive, let me be clear here, who are almost um, overreactive to this and it seems like what these tiny kids need is just for us to be like, cool, no big deal. Like, awesome. I love yeah. it. Yeah, how about paying attention to what's in front of you and just yeah. letting it be, you know, who they are? It, yeah. it is true that in our misunderstanding, look, how things, uh, and by the way, let me just say, we're, uh, I'm offering a course, an internet course as we speak. Uh, people can still take it as recorded. They can take it any time. Uh, on self-esteem, what it is and what it isn't. Uh, how to really love yourself and stop criticizing yourself. And oh, love in, that. In our sort of rush to never hurt our children and always give our, we kind of overdo it. Uh, my son, Justin, um, the, the older one, uh, said about his hothouse, you know, uber liberal Cambridge math uh, school. Okay. He said, oh, yeah, Shady Hill. Where no one loses, you just win differently. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I've always said, like, when my boys were playing soccer and they're like, no, we don't keep score at this age. I'm like, oh, every single one of those kids is keeping score. Like, yeah. maybe you're not keeping score. I'll tell you what, my kids will know every play, every score, and who kicked every goal. Like, you know, you have to understand how being self esteem is misunderstood in this culture. It comes from the inside out. Not the outside in. It's not amen, a, Terry. Yeah, it's God given. It's part. It's your birthright. You have essential worth and dignity because you're here. You're a human, and you're breathing. It cannot be more or less than anybody else. Can be added to or subtracted from. It just is, and we try and achieve. The other way of saying it is that. Self-esteem is being able to love yourself even when you're urine, when you screw up or you mm -hmm. feel bad about the bad behavior, but still hold yourself lovingly as a flawed a person. And it's very rare. We have to teach it to people. We think that self-esteem has to do with your performance or what you have or what other people think of you. It's got nothing to do with, uh, with any of those uh, things. So you don't want... Uh, to shame your child, and, but you also don't want to falsely empower. You know, I have a friend who has right. uh, explicit problems with the uh, narcissism and grandiosity. Uh, he's an artist, and uh, we were teasing about his mom. When he was a kid, his mom took him to a Picasso exhibit, 
And at the end of the exhibit, she said to him, you know, you're better than that guy. I mean, uh, oh, my God. Holy oh, my smokes. gosh. <laughs> my therapist told me a story once about a man that she knows whose mother told him that his stinky diaper smelled like roses. Like, oh, this yeah. is oh. the best smelling diaper ever. Oh, your poopoos smell wonderful. <laughs> I don't know what the outcome was, but it was a cautionary oh. tale. <laughs> Ask his wife what the outcome was, uh, you know. The, 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 the issue is that if, if false empowerment sets you up to be grandiose, entitled, and superior, uh, and that's no favor to anybody, false empowerment is a form of abuse, just like disempowerment. Yeah, and uh, a lot of us kids, not just men, uh, go back and have sort of one-two punches of, of, of uh, both. Being daddy's little girl uh, is no favor to a daughter any more than being the, the big hero for the son. Uh, it's not about any of these things. And in my last book, Us, I talk about coming out from under what I call the great lie that our Western civilization is based on. The lie that you can be essentially superior or inferior to another human being, or race, or culture, uh, or, or nature itself. It, we hold ourselves above nature under patriarchy. We are in control and we dominate. And this notion of domination is killing us. And learning to be relational is having what I call ecological humility. You're not above it, dummy. You're in it. You breathe it. And once you wake up to the understanding that you're in it, that everything changes. Well, totally. And that's why I love, I, I don't know if I said it or I just thought it. I certainly wrote it down ahead of our, our show that your teachings, your exhortations are radically practical. And in so many ways, I mean, I say this lovingly, they're obvious and yet it's it's not, right? Because we're in a we're in a really, you know, a loneliness epidemic, a mental health crisis. We here at your tango have been talking about it as a overarchingly a relationship crisis, right? And yeah. you talk about toxic individuality is yes. the air that we breathe. And that's what we it's and that's why it's like there was this great metaphor around, um, you know, the the two two little fish in the water and the old fish swims by and says, "How's the water?" And they go, "What water?" And yeah. that's just I mean, it, it reminds me of your 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 teaching and your exhortations. I mean, so back to no wonder we're in a relationship and yeah. loneliness crisis because the air that we breathe tells us either how wonderful we are, how unique we need to be. Here's how I see it. Uh, we need, again, Carol Gilligan, there can be no relationship without voice. There can be no voice without relationship. We need to be assertive selves, but assertive selves in a larger context. Mm -hmm. I need to speak for myself, but I need to speak for myself within the relationship, not outside of the relationship. The essential delusion of Western civilization is this. I am apart from nature. That's what the word individual means. Mm -hmm. I'm apart from nature, and I stand above nature and in control of it. Whether the, the nature I'm controlling is my thoughts, I need to be more positive, my body, I need to lose 10 pounds, 
my spouse, my kids, you're not in control of nothing, Buster. And <laughs> that delusion is going to kill us. I mean, we're six years away from an irreversible global warming, according to the side. This was just released last week. Six right. years away. We have to understand that we're not above nature. We're in it or we're going to die. And the way this gets practical in our lives is this. When you start thinking with what I call ecological wisdom, ecological humility, our relationships are our biospheres. We breathe them. You can choose to pollute your biosphere over here by having a temper tantrum. But buddy, you're going to breathe in that pollution and your partners withdraw lack of sexuality, lack of generosity over there. It's an ecosystem. You're linked. You're, it's inescapable. From a relational perspective, if one of you wins and the other one loses, you both lose. And this is not a pie in the sky idea. You both lose because guess what? The loser will make the winner pay for it. Count on it. Well, and it's to your point, yeah. And to your point, it's if you're one up, you're you're apart from. And it may there may be it's like my kids will um hit back and, you know, say something terrible and it's like Okay, how, how did that feel? And they're like, it felt great. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, they're like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. And they have that sense of remorse, which to me just adds that layer of guilt to make matters worse, right? Then talk, you know, like the guilt and shame. But I would even contend, you know, so much of your work obviously talks about uh, couples and relationships, but you, it, at the end of us, I love how you get into society, the planet as well, but just even going back and talking about racism and so many ways where there is a um, us like an otherizing and how dangerous and damaging it is. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's at a crisis level. And what's interesting to me, we're, you know, we, again, your tango open relationships, the show, we are zealot advocates for relational wellness. We know that you can't thrive without it, right? And the opposite is true. Uh, you, you know, you die of a broken heart, you, you know, all those maladies, um, you know, come to the fore when your relationships are non-existent. And yet when I, I think about in my life, when I think about the people around me, they would say that they're prioritizing their relationships, right? I feel like it's like an uphill battle as far as people, you know, not like I think you said it was delusional and if and so I'm wondering how do we how do we break through because the data is clear we're in a relationship crisis right and mental health uh, epidemic and all of these problems and yet I think you have again my experience is I think most people unless they're on the brink of divorce or really at odds with um, a, um, a a child that's having a hard time or, you know, it's like those extremes, but I feel like everybody else would probably say, oh no, I'm, you know, I prioritize my relationships. It's good. Does that feel like a disconnect for you? Uh, it is a disconnect and uh, really, really good. You know, uh, pretty much one out of two marriages fail and have the years and, and of the two out of four that are standing, how many of them are really happy with Exactamundo. Yeah. Yep. Exactamundo. We, we we talk about that a lot on the show. Yep. Uh -huh. Yeah. We we don't have superb relationships. Here's why. First, let's look at the discrepancy. We've never wanted more from our love relationships than we do right now. 
If our parents and grandparents, a companionable marriage, you know, got along, nobody cheated on it, fine. We want to be lifelong lovers. We want to long walks on the beach. We want heart to heart. We want great sex. We uh, want our best friend. We, we, we right. We want our, our spouse to be our best friend. A cheerleader. I'd like to have a cheerleader. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. <laughs> but our culture is not a relationship cherishing culture. It's mm-hmm. an individualistic, narcissistic, addictive culture. And we don't download the basic skills to people of how to pull this off. There's a discrepancy between what we want and what we know how to do. We have filet ambition and hamburger skill. And the, the evidence is every So how to get out of it? We offer two things. First, a map, a new vision. What living relationally actually looks like, how to think relationally. Mm-hmm. And then two, where's your toolbox? How, how do you actually get it done? So let me start with the map. Thinking relationally means it's not about you versus me. It's about the biosphere. It's, it, 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 what are, from a relational perspective, the answer, who, the question, who's right and who's wrong? The answer is who cares? Right. Literally. Then that's a revolution. Who cares? The question is, how are you and I going to get along with, with each other? I mean, not to drift into whatever, but you know, everybody's obsessed right now with Israel and, and Palestine. Sure. And, and you know, which side are you on? Who's at fault? It, we could go on endlessly over who's more right and who's more wrong. Here is the question: How are you guys going to live together without killing each other? That's Amen. Thank yeah. you, Terry. Yes. 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 You know, one of the things I say is. We may not have it in us to bring peace to the Mideast, but we can bring peace to our living rooms and bedrooms. So let's right. live this way here and now. So here's what I mean. Let me give you a concrete example. I'll do heterosexual. I, I don't know if you have encountered this or those listening, but it's pretty common in my opinion. Um, he, her to him. Uh, when you drive... Uh, you're a reckless driver, and I get myself nervous being with you. Uh, you you got to do something about it. Him to her. I'm not a reckless driver. I'm an aggressive driver. You, know, you are overly uh, uh, concerned and anxious, and don't tell me what to do. Uh, I, I heard of him. No, you are reckless. You do this, you do it. Him to her. No, I, I'm fine. You're just, okay. That's what I call an objectivity battle. Who's right and who's wrong? Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, so one session with me, true story, one session with me, her to him, uh, honey, I know you love me. Let's start with that. I know you love yes, me. Honey. Right or wrong, call me nervous Nelly. When you drive and you go 20 miles above the speed limit and you tailgate and you switch lanes, I get myself crazy. This is how we teach people to talk. I get my, not you get me. I get myself. Right. Right. Now, I know you love me. You don't want me sitting next to you feeling terrified every time we're in the car together. Honey, as a favor to me, could you slow down and drive more conservatively to be considerate so that I'm not crazy in the seat next to you? Him to her. This is a true story. Him to her. Uh, uh, okay. And, and a fight that could have lasted 40 years 
is done in 10 minutes because it stopped being about right, wrong, evidence, blah, 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 and it started being relational as a favor yeah. to me, could you? Sure. And I love she it. asked him what she needed. She asked him for what she needed. And I, I don't know who first said clear is kind, but that. someone said it in a leadership book that my husband read because I have found that husbands read leadership books way more than they read relationship books and the, leadership, leadership books. And if you go hand in hand, leadership books are relationship books. Yeah, exactly. And and he was like, he kept saying, clear is kind. I think it was Brene. And 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 that's what she was being. She was being clear. It was like, okay, here's what I actually mean. What I mean is I feel scared. Could you help me not feel scared? And he's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Right? Like he was like, oh, light bulb. Yeah, well, I, I can do that. Your, your work is so radically practical, you know, but I also feel like Oh, you know, we were talking about courage a few minutes ago. It, I feel like it does take courage to ask for what you want, right? Yes. And I think it's so much easier, not, you know, and less effective, but it's easier to stay separate, right, in a lot of ways, because then um, you can't be rejected because you're yes. just like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to like uh, trump you by, I'm going to reject, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. And, but that, that's a losing battle, right? Yeah. You know that. Well, one of the things I say is, is there's no vulnerability in complaint. Right. <laughs> right. There's totally. No yeah. And one of the, we, I like focusing on skills, and one of the skills we do is um, move from complaint to request. Don't criticize your partner for what they're doing wrong. Instead, ask them to do what, what is right for you. Mm. One of the things about the story is the woman doesn't just say, uh, could you do it? But she says it with humility. Could you do it for me? Yeah. I'm not saying you're a reckless driver. I'm saying for me, would you do this? And that makes well, sense. And that's so, I feel like that that's where vulnerability can be a superpower. And I just, I do want to sort of slow down and home in here because when I think about, like you say, um, you know, I love you, right? And, and it's coming from this place of humility, It that is a power move. And I think it's a power move that a lot of people don't understand. But I think if they were to practice it, I mean, it's back to saying, not one up, not one down, it's you and me, baby. And, ooh, that feels good. It's I want it to be you and me, baby. Right, but someone, yeah. I mean, we talk on the show a lot, someone has to go first, right, Terry? Yeah. Right, well, here, here's the thing. Um, there's a very, uh, many of the skills that I teach uh, all fall under the umbrella of a big skill, which is what I call telling the truth with love. Telling mm. the truth with love, yes. Standing up for yourself with love. Uh-huh. And, and what happens, uh, and, and what, what happens is under patriarchy, you, you can either be connected or you can be powerful. But you can't be both at the same time. Let me say that again. This is really profound. Yes. Under This is the water we all swim in, fish. Under patriarchy, you can either be connected, that's uh, accommodating, nice, quote-unquote, feminine, or you can be powerful, that's logical, confident, assertive, quote-unquote, masculine. But because power is power over, when you move into power, you break connection. And one of the things I see, you've heard me say over and over again is 
moving men, women, and non-binary folks into intimacy is synonymous with moving them beyond patriarchy. Patriarchy doesn't allow for it. We have mm-hmm. to move from these rules. So the brand new frontier is to be powerful and connected in the same breath. Mm-hmm. Honey, I know you love me. Start with that as a favorite right. of meaning for you. You remind yeah. them. So you cherish yourself and cherish the partner in the same sentence. And no That's one knows right. how to do that. We have to teach people how to. Well, let me ask you a really, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a specific question, but I feel like it can, a lot of people can apply it. So in, in my marriage, we've been together 20 years and we have built up resentments. Okay. So when things come up and I'm thinking to myself, I know how I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a little more vulnerable, lead, be the first one to, to do the right thing. Um, but I will often feel this ball of resentments. And I know my husband does as well. And we're in a good place. We get along great, which is why we're comfortable <laughs> talking about these things in public. But those resentments are real. And on a practical level, how do you move forward with couples who come in with just a whole bunch of resentments? That's every couple I see, first of all. Oh, okay. Um, so here's the thing. Um, one of the things that I you learn when you start doing the work I do is I, we look at three parts of you, three parts of the psyche. There's what we call the wise adult part of you, the part of you that's talking to me today. Thoughtful, you know, how do I get rid of my resentment and do a more skilled thing? That's a why. That's the that is the prefrontal cortex, that the most mature part of the brain talking. Unfortunately, there are two very immature parts of us that are also on board. Subcortical, uh, the limbic system, amygdala. So uh, there's the famous wounded child part, which trauma work has been dealing with for a while now. Very young, when I do work with the wounded child part of somebody, they're just flooded. It's the part of you that yeah. just was received the abuse or the neglect. The wounded child part, the first moments of life to about four or five, want to crawl up in someone's lap and just cry for about a thousand years. That's the wounded child part. Between this very mature present part and this very young uh, past past part is where most of us live. And I call it the adaptive child part of us. Adaptive child. And this is the you that you created in the face of what was coming at you. It's the you that adapted. And and good for you at the time, uh, but it's a kid's version of what a grown-up is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And we bring these adaptations into our relationships, for example, being resentful. Uh, And it stops us uh, from behaving uh, like an adult. Um, So... The first skill that we teach is what we call relational mindfulness. The part, it helps to talk about the part of you. The part of you, Joanna, that is resentful is that adaptive child part yes. that harbors that resentment. And uh, you grow up, somehow we can talk about it, but somewhere along the line in your childhood, uh, you figured out that it was a smart thing to do to stand up for yourself and to stay true to those resentments. Yes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
So it, it was either modeled for you, you saw somebody do that in your family, or uh, you needed to stand up for yourself yeah. as someone who was trying to control. Yeah, it's rewarded because standing up for myself kept me safe and uh, feeling secure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you adapted from uh, somebody taking advantage of you as a kid to uh, protecting yourself and standing up. Good for you that you learned that. But we have a saying, uh, adaptive then, maladaptive now. Mm. God bless that little girl who stood up for herself. I don't want to imagine what would have happened to you if you hadn't. Yeah. But your husband is not that domineering parent, and you are not that little girl. Yeah. Uh, so in this, I call it whoosh, first consciousness, knee-jerk response. Your 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 adaptation, your wish for you. You're a you're a fighter. I'm a fighter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and your wish is like a wave that comes over you, automatic. the 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 hallmark of the adaptive child part is is knee jerk. It's automatic, and it's very visceral. It feels like I got to do this, or the world's going to come. Take a breath. Take a break. I'm a big fan of breaks. Take a twenty minute break. Go for a walk around the block. Explain what a break is to your partner before you take it. I'm getting triggered. I need to go deal with this. Get re-centered in the part of you that can move beyond those good times. When you're in that place, then go back to your partner and deal with what the issue is. The first order of business I call relational mindfulness. Get out of that automatic part of your brain into the part of you that wants to make things better. You're never, yeah. an adaptive child is never going to use relational skills because she doesn't want to. She wants to fight. She wants to stand up for herself. Yeah. And well, and she didn't know how, right? I mean, isn't that the whole point that, I mean, and by the way, I got to say, I was so glad you brought it up with the question you asked, uh, Terry, with Joanna's question, because honestly, I can't tell you how much that, Adaptive child versus wise adult framework has transformed my life, right? Oh, and it's something yes. I've taught people and, sh you know, shared your work with other people. And it's so, again, it's so practical. You go, oh, that makes a ton of sense. It does. And and it's more empowering than the just the traditional idea of the wounded child. Because a lot of us, especially if we're fighters, I don't see myself as a wounded child. I right. see myself as the person that will go right into the conflict and solve the problem and stand up for what's right. And if you were talking to me about my wounded child, I'd be like, yeah, it doesn't resonate. But a, the adaptive child, mm -hmm. that hits. Right. Well, what happens in relationships is your wounded child gets stimulated. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, most of us have about 10 seconds worth of tolerance for that. And then the adaptation comes in and says, okay, I'll take care of it. Yeah, and yeah. Your adaptation. It was for those of you listening, let's be practical. Ready? Your your whoosh, your adaptation. Here's the simplest way of thinking about it. Fight, flight, or fix. Yeah. Oh, oh I'm a fixer. Fight, yep. Fight or to... fix. That's your knee jerk. Stop. Right now as you're listening, take a moment and ask yourself. Now, look. I know 364 days you're in your wise adult, but that one day when you screw up. Those two minutes that you might yeah. just live a little <laughs> tiny bit. Fight, fight, or, or now I'm a fighter. Joanna, mm -hmm. you're, you're mm -hmm. Andrea, what was you oh saying? Oh my God, we're type A Aries. Like, uh, oh yeah. You know, we're, we're way fighters. Yeah, we're all fighters. 
our whole company is like this, Terry. It's like we are we are We're like hardcore. a bunch of we will take over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, us fighters, we move into what I call individual empowerment, which is huge in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. Particularly in you know, I was weak, now I'm strong, go screw yourself. I have found my voice. No, no, no. We can do better than that. But that uh, this is a revolution. I was weak, now I'm strong. I'm going to stand toe-to-toe with you. I'm going to tell you what I need with humility and love. Tell me what you need. Mm, How can I help you come through for me? Who sounds like that? How can I help you come through for me? That is relational. And that's that's Mm -hmm. the... It's the difference between saying, don't talk to me like that, and saying, honey, I I want to hear what you have to say. Could, could you tone it down so I could really listen to it? Mm. Do it in the same thing. Ah, but one yes. Empowerment. Now, we're all fighters. So we, our uh, relational mindfulness is coming down from that one up uh, and, and, and softening up. For those of us who are fixers or accommodators, uh, you may need to find some backbone and, mm-hmm. and don't be so accommodating, but Make a little war in your family and stand up for yourself. For the fixers, uh, l- let the bad thing happen. Nobody's going to die. It's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, somebody might have died when you were a kid. That's how you learned to be a fixer. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody would have brought it over you with a truck when you were a kid. That's how you learned to be a fighter. So I always teach my students and the people I work, always be respectful of the exquisite intelligence of the adaptive child. You get to know that part of you. Mm-hmm. Honey, you did exactly what you needed to do back then. God bless you. I'm here now. I can um, do this. You know, when Belinda and I have a fight, I literally, and I teach my class. Do they still today. fight, Terry? Pardon me? Do you and Belinda still fight? Oh, yeah, we fight. Oh. We fight. <laughs> Oh, there's hope for the rest of us. Oh, okay, so that was a relief to hear. And one time, and we have watched a very famous therapist couple have a little squabble in front of us. They shall remain unnamed, Andrea and I both. And I was like, this makes yeah, me feel real good. Oh, yeah. I feel so good about myself because yeah. I yeah. thought I was broken. Uh, no, no, I, I tell, look, we talk about harmony, disharmony, and repair. This is the natural rhythm of all relationships. You're talking to the guy who coined the phrase normal marital hatred, okay? When, yeah. when you're in the disharmony phase, you hate each other. It's okay. You won't die. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, I, I like, I, for 30 years, I've traveled around the world talking about normal marital hatred. Not once has somebody come backstage and said, what do you mean by that? Okay. Yeah, it, right. <laughs> well, what do you, did you feel like you, when um, Michelle Obama used that phrase a handful of months ago, did you did you see that? How there was a she she said that there was a time when she hated Barack, and I think yeah. it was like, oh my gosh, right? And and you've been talking about this for a long time, but back to what you were saying about what did you say about the telling the truth, telling the truth with love? I mean, I think a lot of people were so grateful for Michelle Obama to tell that truth because they're held up as this, you know, like a power couple in the best way. Yeah, but for her to tell that truth, and we go. Oh, we relate. And like you said, nobody asks, what does that mean? But it's almost like it gives us permission to go, okay, we might feel that too. Yeah, because yeah, well, we feel, 
yeah, when we feel totally broken, we give up. Yeah, I yeah. know. And I, I have a name for everything. I call that relational shame. You go okay. to a party and you think the couple's to the right or left and you're having better sex and less fighting than you are. And what you don't know well, is- definitely having more sex. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, They're thinking the same thing about you, Andrea. I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. It's all, it's all bullshit. <sighs> we're all human. You know, we're, we're, yeah. this is part of our vulnerabilities as a couple. You know, I, I say to people all the time, Belinda mm -hmm. and I, every day, use the same skills we're teaching you. And on the days when we indulge our adaptive children and don't use those skills, we look just as ugly as you do. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. hearing that. So this isn't a binary. It's not be perfect all the time or give up. It's like, no. that's what harmony, I'm hearing. It's practice, harmony, right? Harmony and repair. It's like walking, balance, imbalance, rebalance. We don't teach couples the skills of repair because we don't even acknowledge that disharmony exists. Mm. A great couple is all harmony, just like uh, you know, a great body is a 17-year-old's body. A great marriage, you're having sex every other day. You know, bullshit. It's bullshit. We're human. Come on. Let, yeah. Nonsense. Look, when you're in disharmony, whether it, you can go through harmony, disharmony, repair 20 times during one dinner conversation, or it can span 20 years of, of your life. But when you're in the disharmony phase, it's raw, it's dark. Mm -hmm. James Rainbow, the father of couples therapy, wrote back in the 50s when he was a student, we were all with our uh, wives and, and husbands. Uh, the day you turn to the person you just woke up with, and you say to yourself, oh my God, I've been had. This is a dreadful mistake. This is not the person I fell in love with. That day, says Framo, is the first day of your real marriage. Oh my God, you've been punked. Now live with it. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, and, and I, I, I appreciate that candor. And I, I think you actually talk about it in us about this is, this is built into the software. This is built into the coding, right? In fact, Sue Johnson talks about how we grow each other through relationships. And again, I feel like it's so fundamental to your work to teach people how to do this, right? Yeah. So that, that's the good news. The bad news is it feels like most people are pretty darn resistant to doing, to doing the work. Well, here's the thing. Um, or they think it's the other guy. They're, you know what I mean? And it's like now yeah. you're back in the in the doo loop. But sorry, well, that's go ahead. For individualism, you know, uh -huh. one of the things I say is that everybody I see is an essentialist. What does that mean? That means my partner just is essentially dot dot. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you about this. Um, when you talk a lot about shame, and I feel like that word can be. I honestly wish there was a different word because I feel like, I mean, yes, embarrassment, yes, um, inadequacy, right? I mean, there's a lot of different uh, different synonyms for it. But when I think about the practical approach, you're giving us ways, hey, honey, um, replace the the complaint with the request. Hey, honey, you know I love you. And, you know, hey, honey, I know um, you love me. And, you know, and those are some great tools. But when I think about when we're dealing with grandiosity and we're dealing with, you know, a lot of times men, sometimes women, and I've written down, I want to come back to the covert grandiosity of women um, in a minute. 
But we, if that person simply cannot acknowledge, it's too scary to acknowledge that shame or that feeling of inadequacy for whatever reason. It's like the layers of lacquer have prevented them from seeing that or feeling that in themselves. What do you do? Because it feels like it can be one person can go, you know, like I'm going to use the two wells. But if that other person is the grandiose one, is the one up one, what do you do? There are three stages to getting what you want. Oh, good. Only three. <laughs> one, this is the tough one, particularly for women. Daring, okay. to, daring to rock the boat. Daring to mm. rock the boat. Okay. This yep. is the assertive phase. This is where you grab your partner by the collar. You, you put your face in their face and you go, listen, pal, this is really important to me. Mm-hmm. You better pay attention. This is not looking for me. This has to be better. Now, I know you love me. You don't want a miserable partner. It's in your interest. This is what's so. It's in your interest to do this. Please. Uh, this and this need to change here. Uh, now, if you're with a very grandiose partner, they'll tell you to go screw yourself. And you can dare to rock the boat and... What's scary for particularly a lot of women uh, is once you rock the boat, you are putting your marriage in in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And the more grandiose the partner, the more dangerous it is. But uh, sorry, uh, I believe that it's part of being in a healthy relationship that you're willing to risk it. Well, and it's it's how you. I feel like it's how we grow each other, and and back to it's how we how we. Um, experience freedom. And I've, you know, my, my marriage, yeah, I always say fireworks are the best and worst kind, but as I feel like as I've gotten wiser and more mature as my adult, oh my gosh, Terry, thank you. And Sanjay, thanks you. As my wise adult is much more skilled at not freaking out. Right. It's okay. You can rock the boat and you need to rock the boat because it's back to, I'm not doing him any favors by letting him maintain the grandiosity. That's how I feel, right? Yeah. If I have yeah. the, if I have the love and courage that can say, hey, yo, we got to fix this and we're in it together. It just, and I didn't have that skill even, even a handful of years ago, but keep going. Okay. So you got number yeah, one, you had- dare to rock the boat. So it does help for you to rock the boat with love. It is mm-hmm. in your interest, sweetheart. You don't want to be living with a miserable. I mean, come on. No. I I know you love me. This isn't working. We can do better. Please, please take this seriously. That's a whole lot more effective way than you son of a bitch. You better, you know, which is the way most people do it. Particularly when people move from disempowerment into individual empowerment is, you know, you creep, you better do it. That ain't going to work. So you have to be relationally skilled even while you're being mm-hmm. powerful. This is. But you do put your relationship at, at risk. Now, if you're with a grand, I, I want to be practical. If you are with a grandiose partner, and no matter how skilled you are, they just aren't, don't give a damn about changing to make you happier. That's a kick out that you need couples therapy. Mm, and mm-hmm. go to an RLT therapist who will support you. Yeah. Most couples therapists will throw you under the bus. RLT is different in that we we look for power imbalances in the couple and we throw our weight behind the disempowered one. 
which yep. other have responded Terry, to. this brings up a big thing that we've been dying to ask you. When I was reading um, I Don't Want to Talk About It, which is probably one of my favorite books, I came upon a quote. You quote your own wife, Belinda Berman, and you said that she said, beware of nice men with bitchy women. And I was on an airplane reading this and I put the book down and I was like, I need to know more. I need to know more because- <laughs> And then she got kicked off the airplane. It was, was really it. terrible. That's it. Now I can never fly again. But it, I was like, I heard that. Beware of nice men with bitchy women, that quote of your wife. And I was just like, I, I need to know more because that felt so resonant to where we are in a society right now. Yeah. Yeah. The whole quote is beware of quote unquote nice men with quote unquote yeah. women. Uh, they're killers. That's the whole quote. Uh, and um, it, it, what you have with these men who uh, are walled off, don't give their wives what they need, and the wives get more and more um, and, uh, escalated. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, you know uh, somebody called it a rainstorm, uh, hailstorm, and tortoise. Uh, the more she yells, the more he shells in, and the more he shells in, the more she. Hells. Uh, and most the therapists will say, well, you both have problems and you just throw the woman under the... No. Mr. Tortoise, she's right. You're wrong. Come out of your shell and give her more of what she wants. It will be, it'll be good for both of you. And he gets labeled as the nice man because he's not causing the problems on the surface. He looks nice. And exactly. she looks bitchy because she's like, I want to talk about it. I want to resolve it. But is that in just internally or to a therapist or do you think to the world in general? Well, that... anybody, I, women get, in particular, get, get this. You know, well, I have a saying, an angry woman is generally a woman who doesn't feel heard. And mm -hmm. in the yes. I turn to yes. the woman and I go, do you get it, Joanna? You've been heard today. I've heard you. I've got him. I've got your. I've got your husband. He is as walled off and ungiving as you say he is. That is as insufferable as you say it is. I got him. Now this is what we do in the therapy. Don't you confront him anymore. It's done. Oh. It's okay. Done. You let me handle it. I can do him. I can handle him better than you can. Oh wow. And yet that's the revolution of RLT therapy. But it, so. With my help in this, and so I want to say, if you have a grandiose person who just ain't going to listen, you drag them to somebody and you get some help. And a therapist is really good back you up and help you. Okay, but let's say Terry, they listen. Terry, I might be, I might or may not be asking for a friend. Do you still see uh, clients? Um, not really. Very, very few. <laughs> but um, you have, but, you have the uh, uh, the art of relational living. That's a new course, right? That people can find at Terry Real. Dot com is that the kind of thing that you so yes people can go to an RLT therapist right would, would you we recommend all over the country okay we, and we then um is there a directory on your site so yeah. that people can find that okay so terryreal.com is the art of for for uh, couples listening to us who say we're on the brink of divorce we need the turnaround guy with the art of relational living that course that you've developed is that something that you'd recommend for couples or is that more for just an individual? No, it's for both couples and anybody okay. with relational skills. But, you know, we've got like about an hour, 15 minute slice 
and I'm covering both the map and the skills and the therapy. The Art of Relational Living is a deep dive. There's 10 classes. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. And it really goes through how to speak up with for yourself with love, how to listen without being defensive, how to make repair, how to cherish each other, really the basic building. So all that practical stuff. And that, like I said, toward the beginning of, of our time together, again, I just, I love your approach and not to be, again, too much of a fangirl. It, it has shown through in your books and I, I haven't done this course, but I'd like to, but I do really want people who are listening and watching this just to go, oh, there's, it doesn't have to be this hard, right? I don't have to keep suffering like this. And it's not, you know, it, like you say, it can never be I win, you lose. It's we win or we lose, right? Because yeah, it's so never. Let me, let me go back to, to be practical. So for, yeah. daring to rock the boat. Daring the rock the okay. boat is not packing their bag. It's, it's making it for women in particular. The first step is if you're unhappy, why don't you start acting like you're unhappy and wipe that smile off your uh, I, 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 I had a woman, so often you hear this, well, my husband's, you know, a creep, but he'll never come to therapy. Uh, this is a true story. She met him. A, a lot of women get into what I call, I hate how you're treating me. What can I make you for dinner? Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, well, that's and, not Joanne and me, but but I, I can kind of understand that. It is that. a little bit me. I do both. I, oh, do you? I, oh, yeah, no, I, I mean, think I'm like, a, I'm like a switch hitter on this. I'm a fighter no. and a let me make you dinner so that you don't yeah. get mad at me person at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's good. All right. Sorry, Terry. Go ahead. We're I'm just right, right. getting carried so away. Go I ahead. Did, so I'll <laughs> Okay. She, this is your story. She met her husband every day when he came home with 90 seconds of the following. I hate how you treat me, honey. I hate this, 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 and this. Um, I've got an appointment next Thursday at the 7 p.m. with this guy, Terry Real. If you don't get your butt in that chair and work on this, I'm going to be even more angry and more miserable than I am now, which is plenty. Uh, mm -hmm. What can I make you for dinner? She did this every day for a week. That son of a guy was in my chair. Oh, wow. So okay. I want to empower people to stand up and rock the boat. Rock with... the boat, baby. Rock the boat. Yeah. Okay, that's one. Two, once your partner is listening, drop the criticism and the aggression. Everybody gets that wrong. They sell past the sale. Well, let me tell you how miserable I am. No, no, no. They're listening. Shut up. Yes. Thank you. Change the energy once they say, okay, what, what do you, okay, I'll try. Then soften up. And step two is what I call helping them win. Mm. Teach, teach them what you want from them. We, we know about this sexually. We know that we have to teach our partners in bed what we want. But teach them uh -huh. everywhere else what we want too. Look, here's a simple one. Uh, I got 10 minutes. I just had a fight with my girlfriend. I need 10 minutes of venting. For those 10 minutes, I don't want you to solve my problem. I don't want you to give me advice. I want you to be like a girlfriend. It's called empathic listening. Put your arm Peter. around me. Go, there, there, that sucks. Tell me more about it. <laughs> Would you be willing to do that? Mm-hmm. More mm -hmm. assertion up front, less resentment on the back end. Clear as kind. Mm. Oh, my God. It's so obvious, Terry. Why don't we know how to do this, but right? And why do why do people resist it? Because it's scary, right? But well, now, I mean, but it just 
It I, is. It is. It's, le- it's a whole lot less vulnerable to scream bloody murder about what you're not mm-hmm. getting actually ask for what you want well and that what they say the definition of insanity keep doing the same thing and and expect a different outcome but it does it feels somehow you know when you talk about the modeling and so forth so many of us came from families that what was modeled to us it's like it's unconsciously it's like we know this is in our best interest but somehow it feels like something really unconscious and insidious is keeping us stuck in our, I mean, it's like our own unempowerment, right? Because the rat, like everything you're talking about is rational and even obvious, yet we don't do it. But how you say it is not obvious because I feel like you just, you frame it in a way back to the wise adult versus adaptive child. It's like, oh, that framework really breaks through for me. But I feel like you're just basically asking us all to grow up emotionally. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) Yeah, grow up in the moment, which means that we deal with the immature parts of us. Mm -hmm. We do the trauma work of Mm -hmm. turning into a boy or girl. Yeah. If I I may, Joanna, your husband pisses you off. You're ready to let him have it. So that adaptive child part of you gets knee-jerk. Count on it. You know, you learn to do that as a little girl and you needed to. But on this day, you take a breath. You don't just let that 11-year-old take over your marriage. And you turn to that little girl and you say, Joanna, honey, I know you're a fighter. I love what a fighter you are. Not today. I got it. Well, one of the things I say is, when we are inner child triggered, which just means trauma triggered, when we have that automatic response, you want to take your little girl or little boy, put your arms around them, hear them out, put them on your lap, love them, and take their sticky hands off the steering wheel. You, in the back seat. You let me handle my husband, you're going to make a mess of it. And that is the and the the revolution here is that can be cultivated, that can be grown. The first time you take a breath and come out of that reactivity to the wise adult that wants to use skills, and you're gonna that adaptive child's gonna laugh its face off. By the one thousandth time you do it, you'll have some. It's track. internalized. Well, and that's it. And that's so when I think about my own journey and having effed it up you know, a lot for many years. And Sanjay's amazing in all the ways that he's amazing, except for when he isn't. Right. And that's been my, you know, kind of my failure to, to keep um, being unwilling maybe to do the work and practice it. But then when you do it once, you go, oh, that wasn't so, at least that was my experience. Like, oh, that wasn't so scary. Oh, I feel better. And to your point, Terry, that after, after several times, it becomes instinctive. But I, I do feel like for me, and I'm, I guess I'm just really kind of reinforcing my own experience of practicing it and and knowing then sometimes even in the practice, it's going to get fucked up and I'm going to get mad and a little, you know, kind of freak out Andrea is going to come out, but that sure. it is a practice. And, yeah, I mean, and the thing, oh, well, and I love how you talk about re- this whole thing happening minute by minute. You literally yeah. said it's not about weeks and years. You said, and I'm like, oh, what minute by minute? It's like, oh, it's in the now. Right, it's in the if now. you're so in the now, and you just in that moment, you have in that, that moment, choice. In that, and am I going to go with my knee jerk and pace mm-hmm. this up, 
which feel great in the moment because of the hangover, or am I going to take a breath and say, you know what? I know you want to fight. Uh, trust me, I understand. It will feel great in the moment, but it's not really good for us. Just you take the backseat. Uh, I'll take it. And that's the, the, the okay. So you, you're in your wise adult. You're in the second phase. Your partner's listening. Drop the anger and the criticism. Right. Don't. We vomit all over our partners. Therapy has taught us to do this. You know, are you in my house? What, Terry, get <laughs> out of here. <laughs> Go home. Your Telling your partner 10 minutes worth of how miserable you are at the way they treat you is not a winning strategy. No, it's a losing strategy, even though yeah. it feels so good sometimes. It's in the moment, but let it go. Honey, this is what I want you to do. Uh -huh. Would you do it? So that's phase two. You teach them how to do it. And then phase three, which is no really hard, is what I call making it worth their while. Once yes. they do it, reward them, don't disreward them. Mm. Honey, mm. Thank I teach people to celebrate the glass 15% full. Yes. It was only 5% yeah. full last week. This is how we deal with our kids. Kid comes home with a yeah. D, have a heart to heart. Next week they got a C. You don't say, where's the A? No, nope, right. Incredible. Let's keep, but we don't do that with our partners. Well, what I've what it's a good little technique. So my boys are ten and thirteen, also an Alexander like yours. Um, I remember reading early on this advice that said when when your kid, you know, it's like we spend so much time telling our kids what not to do, right? And it's like ding, ding, ding. Tell them what to do. To your point, make it worth their while. Celebrate, but even more than that, just using words like do something really crazy, right? And and scream and shout and jump up and down so it becomes like this neurological like blah right yeah. and it just makes yeah. me think i'm i'm like i want to try that sanjay just got home he was in india for two weeks and so i'm like all right i'm gonna make it worth this while and i'm gonna make it like really memorable i mean it's such a good pr again practical good advice we all need that positive reinforcement well even we just the it. simple words we're waiting of for being... somebody to give it to us yeah right and that and being... to me is a big problem being able, I've noticed with my husband that if I can say, I I noticed that you came home and you looked at me the moment you walked in and it felt so good. Like yeah. something little like that. And he is delighted. Or like, I noticed that, that I finished like this whole rambling story and you listened to the whole thing. That felt so good. And, yes. and that's such a reward, right? Yes. Listen, let me yeah, tell we you don't take for granted. The, the best way of getting more of what you want is appreciating what you're already getting. Appreciate what you're getting. Which we don't That's do because it makes so us good. It's one thing to bitch about what you're not getting is quite another to open up and receive it when we get it. I call, so I call this transmission reception work and it's a big part of couples therapy. Uh -huh. Once B starts giving A what A has been asking for, you think A swerves in their arms? It's just that they do not. They disqualify it. It's too little, oh. too late. You did it, but you did a half-ass job, which is a way of protecting ourselves from the vulnerability of actually being receptive. I understand it's the adopter child, but take a breath, go into your wise adult, be vulnerable. Honey, you just did a half-ass job. Isn't that great? Well done. <laughs> 
Back in the compliment. Oh, that's hilarious. I kind of like that. Andrea and I both have boys. I also have a girl, and we all we have teenage. We get a lot of teenageness between the two of us. Uh And um, and writing a book about raising boys has opened my eyes to how much loneliness and heartbreak and isolation men are experiencing. What would you say? And I know you don't do a lot of parenting stuff, but you sure know a lot about men and boys. Oh, okay, good. You sure know a lot about men and boys. For us as parents of boys and teenagers and young men, what would you say is the best way we can help them feel more emotionally connected and just prevent some of this loneliness and depression and isolation that we're seeing so much right now? Yeah, great. First of all, I want to empower all of the mothers listening. This idea that adolescent boys have to quote unquote separate from their mothers and act yes. like dicks and that's normal and good for them is a is bullshit. It comes from psychology, but it's really patriarchy. Oh. And there is no reason why boys need to pull away from their mothers in order to become men. That is just bullshit. So mothers, hang on to your sons, dads too, hang on to your sons insist on relationality in the home. Being relational outside of the home, they have to figure out how much they want to show and and be vulnerable and how much they want to protect them. But in the home, you are connected, you are acting like a good, big-hearted guy or you're going to your room because I ain't putting up. I'll tell you a story. Uh, So my son, I, I... Alexander is a tall, willowy, he's now a doctor, uh, but he was a professional ballet dancer for a, a year. Oh, how cool. Uh, and uh, really a very sensitive artistic guy. Justin's brother is this big, burly jock. Uh, and the two of them are the thickest thieves. It's the two very different versions of masculinity. Anyway, I'm driving Justin, he's maybe eight, nine, to hockey practice. And it, it, we're doing this thing. I, I particularly want to empower parents right now with this story. Uh, how was your day? Fine. Uh, how are you doing? Good. Yeah, you know, there's this boy, modest, this boy thing. I pull over and I stop the car. True story. I say, Justin, let me be clear with you. I'm doing you a favor right now. I'm driving you to hockey practice, which I love. I'm asking you to talk to me and you're barely giving me the time to. I don't like that. So here's the deal. You're going to tell me one thing you felt today, one thing you learned today, and one thing you feel really good about today. Go. He goes, or I don't go to hockey practice. I go, go. So, okay. So he starts to tell me, and this is what he says, absolutely true story. He says, okay, I'll tell you something. As we go to hockey practice, and I'm thinking, There's a difference in the hockey practice between the boys who go to private school and the boys who go to public school. Oh. It's just, it's like not cool. He's like nine, 10. I go, well, uh, can you describe it? He goes, "Uh, it's hard to say, but it's a little like the difference between when you got a bunch of black kids and white kids. Oh, wow. My 10 year old was sitting in the backseat of the car talking to me about class. Good job, Papa. He would no more have come out with that if I hadn't insisted on it than fly to the moon. So, mothers, 
hold on to your boys. Insist on relationality. We don't have to leave relationships. We have to renegotiate relationships to accommodate our growth and autonomy. But this this notion that boys have to reject their mothers and act like jerks is 100% bullshit. So if you get nothing else from today, I want to empower you to insist on decent man as you raise your boys. Oh my gosh, Terry. Amen. Love it. And Joanna, thanks for teeing that up because it is, you know, when we think about this loneliness crisis and how it is disproportionately impacting not even the older men, it's the younger men that are there in their basements or in their dorm rooms that are totally disconnected and at great peril for them and our society. And how, I mean, Scott Galloway talks a lot about just that growing gap where, you know, it's disproportionate that uh, women are getting the degrees and better jobs and so forth. So you've got this widening gap in society. Oh, yeah. and men are, are, are in trouble. You know, one of the things I believe is, the, and this is very American, the, this thing that both my kids went through where uh, one of means to socialize uh, as an older teen uh, and college kids is you go out with your friends and get shit-faced on alcohol. And the reason why that's so prevalent in America is because these boys don't know how to talk to each other. Right. They don't know how to relate exactly. to each other. That's exactly. Exactly. And so amen, uh, Terry, to you to find a, a skillful way or even a little bit of a forceful way to to open that that and it, you know, and I feel like it's a delicate dance, right? Because we, you know, as as parents, we want our kids to open up and be relational and you know, I guess we all just have to figure out how to do that. But to insist on it, I think, is the right yeah. answer, right? To rather than just say, all right, I'm just going to go play a video game in my bedroom or I'm just going to sit in the back seat and look at my phone. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I feel heartened because I've, I do a little bit of that with my boys. But I want to come to, you know, so we're talking about the young folks. I want to uh, talk about generational trauma. And I, I referenced at the beginning of our show um, that you have ministered I mean, oh, for people to listen to Bruce Springsteen in that gravelly voice. So if you're going to listen or read uh, Terry's book, Us, you have uh, something to look forward to with the um, opening that Bruce wrote. But he wrote a forward to your book that explained how you helped him face his generational trauma. And the quote here is, it's only through the hard work of transformation do those of ours who have come before cease to be the ghosts that haunt us and transform into the ancestors we need and love to walk beside us. So, Beautiful. you know, I mean, Bruce Springsteen is like the ultimate manly man, right? He's like, he, we, I think so many of us in America perceive him as like the cowboy, the person we want to aspire to. So I'm just so grateful that he, you know, he obviously got incredible help from you that he did the forge the book for people Again, listening and watching, who go well? If Bruce can do it, right? Then, then maybe I can too. Yeah. Any takeaways in terms of just, you know, kind of how that, um, how that generational trauma, you know, how how people can, you know, sort of deal with that. And I realize that's kind of what we've been talking about the entire entirety of the show. But if there's anything unique yeah. from your experience, and not necessarily about Bruce, obviously you're going to keep that private, but just this idea of generational trauma, I think it'd be helpful for people to. You know, try yeah. to take that away. I mean, we'll tell you a Bruce story. I've never said this in in, in public, but it's, it's so okay. adorable. All right. Uh, because you mentioned Michelle Obama uh, uh -huh. and her talking about the uh, normal marital 
that hatred. Um, uh, you know, Bruce and, and Barack did a, uh, a podcast together. Oh, great. Uh, for a number of, uh, uh, of episodes. And Bruce did tell me uh, that um, uh, Barack told him that after the first episode, he uh, Michelle was picking him up and he gets in the car and they're driving off. And Michelle says, boy, that Bruce Springsteen, uh, it, he's done a lot of work on himself. It's really clear. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, Terry. Hang on. Where is uh, Brian? Can we get our, our studio audience to give us a big, uh, a big clappy clappy? But I mean, and that's the, it's, a, it's, it's like, it's ironic to me because that it's like the work is its own reward, right? Isn't that the, isn't that the freaking answer? The work is its own. That's how we liberate ourselves. Yeah. That's I, how we I, I experience wanna, joy. I, I, I do want to uh, tip my hat and open my heart to Bruce. What a courageous thing for him to publicly state that he and Patty had done this work. And, and, and yeah. yes, I mean, and thank you. So, yes, a big thank you to, to Bruce Springsteen and Patty, his wife, and to your point so that they me, have the courage. Let me go back to this issue of generation. Okay, sure, sure. Um, they say it's not a pretension to quote yourself, but I will. Here, here's my. <laughs> you uh, can get away with it, Terry. You can get away with it. <laughs> yeah, here, here's my most famous quote from I don't want to talk about it if I may. Mm-hmm. Family pathology, family pathology, rolls from generation to generation, taking down everything in its path, like a fire in the woods. Until mm-hmm. one person in one generation has the courage to turn and face the flames. That person brings peace to their ancestors and spares the children that follow. And here's what I want to say to you all this do this work. Yeah. Do this work for yourselves. Do this work for your marriages. Do this work for your children. The best gift you can give your children is a healthy you. Break the chain. Transform the legacy. Uh, I say you read this, and I don't want to talk about it. Uh, My father was an angry, depressed, traumatized man, violent, and unhappy. His father was an angry, violent, depressed man. I have two boys. They do not say that. Uh, oh my God, I've got chills. Yeah. It's a great book. And that's the greatest work of my life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, with the claps. I, th- I appreciate it. I was hoping for some claps. Yeah. No, but it all, it's, it is, it is and the you ultimate. Know what? I, I have a for I love seeing how moved you both are me too and my message for those of you who are listening is if i can do it you can do it do it Mm. do it and it's beautiful to hear a man saying that because i think that a lot of times that's what we're missing is men mentoring to our teenage boys that that change is possible and that a different way of living is possible that it doesn't have to be so locked down all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And in order to do that as a man, 
uh, you it, it requires nothing less than reconfiguring everything that you learn as a boy means to be a man. And isn't that so motivating to parents raising boys too, that we get this opportunity to give them a different future, not well, like just by say, healing yeah. ourselves, but by giving them these tools young. Well, it's yeah, that breaking you know, that uh, One of the things I say, uh, I'm a big fan of young men, uh, millennial men, Generation Z, uh, the younger the man, the less patriarchal they are. Uh, now, a, a difference in you know, the different regions in the country, but by and large, young men expect a two-career family. Young men expect to share decisions with their uh, with their wives, if they're heterosexual, with their partners, and um, uh, they are uh, more uh, expressive uh, than uh, us old uh, baby boomers. And uh, the reason why. Uh, my vote is on young men, and they're better off than my generation. Is because they were raised by feminist mothers. Future. Mm -hmm. Woo! All right. Yeah. No. Totally. I love that. It's it is super heartening. And I just going back to, you know, your call to action to break the chain and to have the courage to face the flames. Yes. It is like it is so beautifully written. I'm thankful that you're willing to quote yourself. And that's it. it. You know, when I think about what it what it means to be a man or or a woman, right? And yes, we're we're still trying to break the chains of patriarchy. But that having that courage to say it stops with me and that like you say, it's the greatest gift. That to me, is, I mean, and it's why we're here. It's why we're doing the show. It's why uh, we've developed this huge platform with your tango. And, and Terry, it's why we're so grateful starting from the beginning of the, the show and even our prep time, why we're such super fans of yours, because this is, well, you can see the transformation happening thanks to um, this approach and your work. So I think we covered a lot here, folks. Terry, is there anything? And I'm, I'm going to come back. Ooh, all right. Um, we're going to, yeah. I want to, I want to talk about. Oh, I have two things I want to say to people. Okay. People. You got it. One or more. In our culture, our relationship to relationships, including our relationship to ourselves, is passive. You get what you get and you complain about it. Oh, right. Here's the revolution. We can shape it. We have something to say about it. Come and learn how to do that. And the other thing I want to say is this. I have to say this every time I speak to a big audience. If you get nothing from this whole talk and get this, get this. There's no redeeming value in harshness. If it's harsh, it's off. Whether it's you talking to you or someone else talking to you or you talking to someone else, there's nothing that harshness does that loving firmness doesn't do better. So just take that in and live that and your life will be very different. There's nothing that harshness does that loving firmness doesn't do better. Uh, beyond that. So what a just, parenting message, too, for parents, man. That just strikes. Boom. Nails it. Yes. Beautifully said. Thank you. Oh, my gosh, Terry, thank you. Um, okay, to learn more about Terry, you can go to terryreal.com. He has two very practical, effective online courses that are available now. The first one is The Art of Relational Living. You can do that with a partner or, you know, a child. You can do it, you know, wherever you have an opportunity to grow closer with somebody. And then or the second one. You mm -hmm. can do it. Or, and you can do it. Right. 
And then the next one is real self-esteem. Learn to stop criticizing and start loving yourself. And when I think about at the heart of your work, Terry, so much of it is just doing your own work, showing up differently in all your relationships. It's like that's where the transformation starts, right? With your own willingness to say, I'm willing to change. And that is the ultimate power move. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to face the flames. In this moment right here, is is in this moment, am I going to go with my knee-jerk, same old, same old, or am I going to take a breath or a walk or whatever and come back with something more vulnerable, more loving, more skilled? Yeah. And that choice is yours right now in this moment. Uh-huh. Yeah, total choice. By the way, Terry, I just want to get a chip of your voice in my head. <laughs> So I can just continue to hear your amazing voice and all the wisdom, just, you know, especially when I'm ready to, you know, freak out on my kids or, um, you know, react, you know, little, uh, little adaptive Andrea, um, you know, making that mistake. But you are truly amazing. You are such a gift. Thank you, yep. Terry, for your time with us. Bless you. You guys are wonderful to speak with. I really appreciate it. And, and I just want to say thank you. For this blessed, mm. sacred work you're doing for the world and uh, for your courage and openness. Uh, so, thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very uh, motivating. The, the uh -huh. reason why so many people are listening to you is because you've got skin in the game, you're real. And uh, I just want to celebrate your hearts and your courage. Oh, thank you. Gosh, thank you. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we want to get you back on the show. There's, I mean, for all that we covered, there's so much we didn't cover and there's so much more depth and, um, and I know we've talked about uh, some other opportunities together. So thank you very much, Terry Real. We'll look forward to having you back here on Open Relationships Transforming Together and, uh, and for um, everybody just to learn more and, and, you know, four amazing books, two courses and more. And if you are a healing or helping professional, you know, um, learning RLT can transform your practice, your relationships and, um, and yourself. So we, you know, Terry's got it all folks. Terry's got it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, Terry. All right. Thank you. Right. That was amazing. Amazing. I am amazing. blown away by that. Like I, 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 I can't believe like how, I know we like to get open and everything, but especially there at the end to see him get open and, and tear up and like, and you, you put it out so nicely, Joanna and, and Andrea both like when you said like, it's, it's great to hear like men talking about this kind of stuff too, because mm -hmm. like a lot of times, you know, the issue that a lot of young boys run into is like, there's no good, like masculinity is such on a spectrum nowadays. Yeah. And we understand yeah. that and we respect that. And that, you know, for a young boy who's trying to figure out what masculinity is, you know, that wants to be on the more masculine side of the spectrum. And it's like, you know, what are your role models, right? Like you've got like Andrew Tate and these guys that are like, just sway into the, like, you have to be the most John well, Wayne Jordan toxic Peterson masculine. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and masculinity is Thank honestly, you. like you're allowed to be like a fisherman and a big tough guy and yep. whatever. The only thing we're saying is just like, just talk to your partners you know what i mean like be open yeah. Yeah. like like you said like it's so much easier for us to to scream at each other than it is to like ask for what you need right like scream about what you're not getting I, yeah like i was like oh my god dude like 
teen boys need to hear about Terry Real. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe maybe your next book, Joanna, you and since you're uh, you're doing parenting, you know, all sorts of parenting work, you and Terry can co-write a book together. How oh my that? gosh. So that's not a good idea. Your <laughs> mouth right to God's I wanna ears. I want to write the forward. I want to write yes, the forward. This is my idea. <laughs> you know, it's a funny um, thing because I, I was on Twitter the other day and um, I saw a man saying, you need to teach your boys to be tough. And he had his right. boys, like he's like drew a line in the sand and had them wrestling, okay? He says, mm -hmm. you need to teach boys to be strong. And and I really was troubled by it because mm -hmm. I thought, I don't think that that's what we're not teaching boys. It's not that type of strength we're not teaching them. We're, we're not teaching them an emotional resilience and emotional mm -hmm. strength. We're definitely teaching them to wrestle in the sand. I, I didn't even have to teach my boys that. They just did it. But yeah, they know how to do that, right? It was that like puppies. Naturally. They just wrestle. Testosterone but, isn't the problem. They've got that in spades. Yeah. 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 And when and what he countered me with when I challenged it via Twitter of all formats was people keep saying that men shouldn't be strong. And I'm like, who's who's saying it? It's like we're fighting a myth. Because yeah. we want men to be strong. I, I like when men are physically strong. I'm, I'm into a power lifter. I, I like a mechanic. This is great. I like this right. traditional masculinity. All we wanted was there to be room for all sorts of other displays of masculinity, right? Right. Like inclusivity totally. for all of our boys so they can grow up feeling safe. Like Terry said about his two boys, one that's a super jock and one that yep. did ballet and, and wore the pink slip and was a princess. There's, there's room for all of them. Yeah, and totally. I just think that that is that sort of um, giving oneself permission to be who they are. That's the that's a power move, right? When I think about that as as a man saying, I I'm not, you know, I'm going to accept those parts of me and and make it okay for other people to accept parts of themselves. That feels like a real man, right? Yes, it's somebody that's going to say. I'm going to judge you or I expect you to be less than, right? So it does it does feel like this is a potential for major transformation in terms of real uh, masculinity. You know? Yeah. Like really lifting people up. That to and me like, is what I feel like it, it really means to be a real man. Yeah, especially when we can come at it with compassion. I think there's been so much man hate in that like this masculinity is if we slow down and we think of those men as little boys, it was literally dangerous for them to mm -hmm. display that softness. And yeah. so I think the balance is going to be saying, I see you, like like Sue Johnson told us, yes. I see you, I hear how this happened. I can understand that that was really scary. Mm -hmm. And I'm here for you when you're ready to do it differently. That with the men in our lives that have earned that level of trust, but also on a societal level of being able to say, this was really hard to grow up as a boy in this culture for so long and just be there for them in that way yeah. instead of pushing them away yeah yeah it really it's it's so heartening and just to know the kind of um reach that he has and the work he's doing you know i just it makes me so um so much more hopeful really for you know especially for us with kids and brian you don't have kids yeah. yet but you will right and <laughs> yeah, but no we're not <laughs> No? Oh, okay. Well, then no. you can have one of mine. And, and you yeah. can raise your, your dog better. Your dog is going to grow yes, up with exactly. a very yeah. loving, masculine yeah. uh, figure in his life. I have to ask, Joanna, did you did you get the answer you were looking for for the, the nice men with the bitchy women? Because I know ahead of time you were like, I have to ask him about this question. If I don't ask this question, I'm going to lose my mind. 
I feel like I did. And I feel like him, him clarifying that it's the quotes, you know, that this is a nice guy. He's not the one who's raising all the problems. He's not the one that's, you know, that then she has to become that. And I think it was actually Harville Hendricks and Helen LaCalle Hunt who say the (laughs) tortoise and the hailstorm that when you go into your shell, I have to become louder and mm-hmm. throw bigger pebbles mm-hmm. at your shell to get you to come out. By the and way, that... I want to meet Belinda. I think Belinda oh, sounds too. like powerhouse. Yeah. I want to say, Belinda, bring it, baby. Yes. Like so yes. much wisdom. I just love how he he refers to her a lot in the book. He obviously mm-hmm. referred to her uh, quite a bit in our conversation. And you just, you feel that admiration mm-hmm. that he has for her and respect. And that they, you know, it's like the Sue Johnson model of how my presumption is how they've grown each other, which is like, yeah. it's just badass, man. It's and, and I just think in my own relationship, like, let me quit resisting the chance to grow each other. Right. Like that. It, I feel like it's the same kind of conclusion we ended up with Stan Tatkin. It's like, yeah, this is how we transform together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. OK, let's uh, let's get takeaways. He gave I wrote like 17 pages of notes. Um so I can go first or Joanna, Brian, yeah, go for it. What, go for what are your, what are your big takeaways? All right. I'll, I'll go first. Oh God, it's hard to, it's hard to decide. So I'm just going to give, give a couple. I loved, I think probably the, the one of them that stands the most, stands out the most, excuse me, to me, telling the truth with love to me is, is a power move. And yeah. uh, I just think it can be so scary. In fact, I talk a lot with my kids about having hard conversations. I mean, I talk about it with colleagues. I talk about it with, you know, friends. Those hard conversations, those are the ones we need to have. And so when I think about telling the truth with love, to me, it's like, ooh, that's how we get stronger. That's how we build connection and intimacy, right? But the, you know, the key is telling the truth with love, right? Because the truth can be harsh. And I loved how he really emphasized that there is no place for harshness. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the big yeah, ones for that's, me. Telling that's what telling I was going to say. Oh. Oh, okay, the, go ahead. Yeah, the, yeah. That was that was mine. Was that there is no redeeming value in harshness, um, mm-hmm. because like it's a little bit of a meme right now. But like the there's the Ted Lasso effect, um, and mm-hmm. uh, my fiance loves Ted Lasso. I haven't seen it yet, but like the idea being that the overwhelming positivity, the like uh, just not positive to a fault but like that just like unrelenting optimism and and niceness like can literally overpower anything like it's the kill him with kindness kind of thing um but uh i've seen so many people talk about how like they've put the the ted lasso effect into their lives and and yeah. it's like totally changed them it's sort of like jim carrey the yes man movie from way back I, I like, yeah so i love like, that movie yeah where it's like like just saying yes ends up like putting you in more interesting positions but it's like the same kind of thing like just being positive and just like in every moment that like you could have gotten mad or could be whatever instead just do the opposite just do something nice or whatever and it it, but it has to be authentic yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah, yeah. authentic thing like what i what i've tried to do with people who are like in service positions who are i feel like hostile or i go in hostile is i always keep trying to think like what good do I see authentically in this situation yeah. or what struggle do I see authentically? And then how do I acknowledge that? Like, oh my goodness, it is so hot right now. Like, oof, like, or just something kind, like this line is so long. You must, this, uh, this seems like a high pressure situation for you. And I see that and people yeah. do 
respond much better. Yeah, and I've they tried both. Be seen. I mean, that's such a gift. And same, Joanna, but good for you. I just, you know, this idea of, of being seen, being sincere, empathetic. And I love that, Brian, your point about um, finding those, you know, really authentically finding those occasions to to affirm, right? Rather mm-hmm. than um, tear down. And how, I mean, to me, that's where the magic happens when we think about, gosh, um, you know, kind of the possibilities that are before us. It's just, it's outstanding. So I love that. Awesome. Um, and and I, not to put ourselves on a pedestal, I'll have to tell ahead. you, I say I try to do that, but it was a, not a mere three months ago that I was asked to leave <laughs> the budget rent-a-car place at the Seattle airport. Oh. Andrea loves when we sell ourselves out. Yeah. I was so hostile because I felt so like unimportant waiting in this line for two hours at 1 a.m. with my two kids. Oh my God, that's two... happened to us before. What yeah. in the world? That happened to us. And then they, then they yeah. raced, then they, they racially profiled Sanjay. Oh, I was like, why are we out of here? Well, and my yeah. reaction was I'm so sorry. bad that oh, no. they were like, ma'am, you need to leave the rental car area. And so me with a little kid and a teenager trying to bring our oldest to college, I got oh, kicked my. out because I was so aggro. And, and, and it was like, and this wasn't even that long ago. I wish I could say this was like me at 20. No, I was 45. And so like, I don't want anyone to think that I think I'm hot shit. Because <laughs> that is awesome. All right. Well, then in the spirit of coming clean and calling ourselves out, I had an experience less than three months ago. Oh, my God. It's like I'm going to start to like blood pressure rise. I was, I had to get a mammogram. And so I got to the place like right on time. It, you know, if the appointment was 1230, I got there at you know, 1228 a.m. But the front, it was a Saturday and the front door was locked and it's this huge eh. building. So I was like, oh crap. So I started to walk around to the back and and I was like, crap, it's going to take a lot longer. So I got back in my car and and drove around. By the time I walked into the office, it was 1236. And I sat down and the lady's like, no, you're, you're six minutes late. And I fucking lost my <laughs> Stressing I, me up here. Oh my God. And they, they so I'm like, I'm like, she was like, no, no, no. And, you know, meanwhile, there are a whole bunch of people there. It takes five minutes. So I said, listen, I was six minutes late because your front door was locked. And that's not my fault. And I've any other time I've been here has been during the week. So I insisted and and just said, come on. And I and so they said, all right, well, we'll we'll take you in. I'm like, OK, great. Thank you. And they brought me to a side room. And the woman's like, listen, I don't want to talk to you in front of like the three or four other people waiting, but we can't see you today. And I'm just like, I was six minutes late because your front door was locked. Okay, let me ask you this. How, if I waited, how long How long would it take, right? Because it's like a pace, like half an hour away and, then, you know, it's just a pain. And the woman's like, um, I can't, she's like, you can wait all day. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't even know if we can get you in. And I almost lost my mind. And so yeah. anyway, so yeah, so uh, Joanna, I was, they were like, oh, ma'am, you need to. Now, well, it's that injustice. Yeah. There's something yeah. about injustice that when I hear that, I I am like the injustice, and that triggers for me. Yeah, but how? Well, and it and it wrecked my day. I was so stressed out, and then I was embarrassed because I was not my. You know, I I, mm-hmm. I don't think I was a complete asshole, but I was very. I I was um. What's the word? Um advocating for myself very strongly right yeah and it was like even if it was even if their front door wasn't locked i'm six minutes late 
and yeah, there are people behind excessive. me and it was it just it felt it felt like I, yeah. like the hostility was coming toward me in a very passive way and it's like wait no uh, but you think yeah. oh, i've got it off my chest it's air yeah. to the world <laughs> and it's and it's good to Ugh. that's the thing is like we maybe that's one reason why we're so interested in these conversations with people yeah. like terry and sue johnson is because um we can recognize in ourselves this tendency and then also yeah. that want to do better yeah but like it's it can almost be dissociative this sometimes i'll get this injustice thing and it'll be like my mouth is open and things are flying flying out well and i like yeah and i feel like he he said it toward the beginning of of our discussion and he certainly writes about it in the book it's like golly i mean back to even the you know there's no room for harshness brian your point and then he talks about the the opposite of that just the you know the imperative of kindness and so when i think about when i screw up like i had to really find that kindness for myself i had to find that forgiveness for myself because i was embarrassed i knew it wasn't my finest moment and i just said you know what andrea if you continue to berate yourself and harbor this guilt that's not growth right that's i mean talk about the adaptive child that's not what my kids need that's not what anybody needs right and so to face okay i fucked up and you know yes i was unjust you know there was injustice against me but i i appreciate that candor joanna because i do think it's kind of it comes full circle with how can we be kinder and more forgiving of ourselves right because that to me the the kinder and more forgiving of myself that i am i feel like the less frequent i become you know medusa and it just it's like this it's back well, to the practice yeah maybe it is like expanding that mental muscle of of being generous yeah being defaulting to gentleness and love and we do have to practice that with ourselves it does flex that muscle yeah and it is and that to me it's like the holy practice and just you know kind of how we uh concluded with terry back to it is the most important work that we do and it is answering the call so all right guys this was amazing thank you thank you thank you for such a great show i think we should wrap it up uh for those of you who aren't following us, please do. So every single episode that comes out every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time, you are going to get it right straight away into um, whatever app that you follow. Uh, also download, because when you download, we're able to just to, to understand what in the show is resonating best and we can make adjustments accordingly. We are so grateful for people that watch and listen, for all of you that are our fans. We are working so hard to make this show incredible. I think we're on, what, episode 12? We know it's going to be episode, you know, just a little longer. and We are going to be having it perfect, but we're working really hard to improve it, to make it relevant, um, to give you actionable takeaways. So um, you can email us at openrelationships@yourtango.com if you have ideas, feedback, questions suggestions for guests where yeah. um, we've got a great pipeline of guests that we're developing and um and leave and, us and comments well, actually comments. that's what we want to say yeah we want people's advice like we would like yeah, to hear everyone's feedback. advice what can we do better what do you want to hear what do oh, you wish advice. we did mm -hmm. and yeah, we, we do don't want listen your because we, want your we um we just got uh and andrew i don't know if you saw it the, we got some fan mail that was uh giving you a recommendation when you asked for if there was um uh, a documentation or like a book or something for using these kinds of techniques for uh, a CEO and in your business. Hey, Kenny. And so some people reached out and gave you some good advice. Um, I love it. So very cool. Uh, so yeah, that email again is open relationships. Uh, I mean, yeah, open relationships at yourtango.com. 
And uh, we also have on the YouTube um, uh, top bar, there is a podcast section and we're right there and you can follow that podcast uh, very easily. I think that's it. All right. Thank (laughs) you. Thanks. uh, Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Open Relationships. Keep it open all. (laughs) 